I, I always thought it was a parable about judgment, but it's really a parable about our nature, right? That's really what it's about. It's about how our tendency is to want to turn everything into a religion. You know, the Jews got really good at turning the law into a religion. And this is Jesus' point when he looked at the Pharisees. He says, you're very good at cleansing the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural backgrounds in which it was written. By following these steps, you learn how to think for yourself and discern truth from deception, reality from fantasy, and true joy from the deceptive momentary pleasures. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, Dr. Douglas Peak, the salty pastor himself. <laughs> well, everybody, it's good to be here today. Jesse, I thought you forgot your name there for a second. I did. <laughs> We're trying out some new, like, intros, and my brain, like, hiccups when I don't know what it's the like, next thing I want to say is. I just blanked on my name. Oh, it's good to be with everybody today. It's been really awesome doing this uh, series about the kingdom of God as we understand it through the parables that Jesus told. Mm. And so I think that's just been really uh, uh, insightful to give us a real clear what is actually going on in the kingdom of God in the world in which we live right now. And how do we live in it? How is it different from just living everyday life? And what we've kind of discovered through these parables is that when you come to know Jesus, you're called to a different way of looking at life and living life. And when you live in that, walk in that, and you understand it, life starts to change in ways you never imagined. As a matter of fact, I believe that many of our problems that we deal with each and every day simply go away. And that's really one of the greatest blessings of understanding the kingdom of God and how to live in it. Absolutely. So on Tuesday's podcast, we had a very illuminating discussion. It really opened my eyes to the importance of context yes. when reading and understanding the scripture. I it mean, was deep, wasn't all it? All of those. Yes, we needed to go back. I had to re-listen to the podcast because I'm, I was in it and I still had to kind of go back and be like, okay, well, what was he saying here again? I need to reread these scriptures so I get it. But kind of some of the things we pulled out are, it's so important to remember that Matthew wrote his gospel to convince the Jews that he, uh, Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. Uh, it's important to know that there were seven mountains that Matthew uses to kind of make his point to the Jews. Yes. Um, and this parable is told from one of those mountains, yep. the Mount of Olives. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to note that the, these parables were taught to the disciples privately um, to describe the end of days. So this yes. wasn't one of, as Pastor Harv put it, while you were gone, uh, it's not one of those ones where he's out in the city. It's kind Correct. of like, a, it's not an out on the porch discussion. It's a in the house discussion yeah, exactly. that everyone else didn't uh, get to hear. Well said. And then... Uh, Finally, it just really helps me understand this parable in a whole new way because I definitely, this is one of those ones where you read it and you're like, I think I get it, but I don't have a super strong grasp on this. Yes, you had to go back and listen again. What what exactly was yeah. the salty pastor saying? Well, one of the principles that is so important is to learn how to think for yourself. And when you're thinking for yourself, uh, you have to remember context is critical. It is the king and because people can take what other people say or comment on people's things that they say and make them mean whatever they want because we live in what is known as a post 
postmodern society. Mm. And in a postmodern society, uh, there is this uh, tool called deconstructionism. And deconstructionism was actually uh, postulated by a Jewish French philosopher who lived in Northern Africa by the name of Jacques Derrida. And what he basically said is that words don't have any intrinsic meaning in them. Mm. And so it's whatever meaning you associate. So it was basically, he started off by literature deconstruction. And what happened then is that is kind of spread to everything. And once that happens, if their words don't represent objective concepts, then there are no objective concepts. And so there, what postmodernists say is there's no meta narrative. In other words, there's no absolute truth. And so what happens is it's basically flowed down into our everyday society. It's a way of thinking that is taught in our public and many of our private school institutions in America and most Western civilizations, uh, countries. And what it is basically is this notion of I, I can tear things apart. And in doing so, it makes us into critics. You know, everybody's a movie critic. Everybody's a food critic. Everybody is a literature critic. Everybody is a political critic. And, but then as soon as you say, okay, this is what you're believing when you say, I don't want to believe that people are like, well, I didn't say that. And, and so what happens in, in postmodern deconstructionism is you, you, you build yourself up by tearing things down, mm. but you're never skeptical of your own skepticism. In other words, well, what if my way of thinking is wrong? What if my own deconstruct, the fact that I can deconstruct, isn't that a very arrogant thing for me to say? Mm. And so one of the things that's so important is if I want to learn to think to myself, I have to be willing to objectively evaluate my patterns of thinking. Mm. Okay. Because context is critical because if I just want to deconstruct, then what happens is I'm not actually asking myself the question, if that's not true, then what is true? Right. Because if I'm going to say I'm going to deconstruct that coffee cup and that's not really coffee in it. And then but what I'm going to say is that I then am going to believe that this is true, because by saying that's not true, the law of contrast comes into play. Are you following me here? Then the opposite has to be true. So just so I can, you know, see if I am getting what you're saying, we have to in this current society where we're taught constantly, nothing is what they say it is. Words have no meaning this idea of your truth is your truth, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to look at your own way of thinking and not just assume that you have it all figured out and that everything is as you believe it is. But instead, really, you have to kind of evaluate how you're breaking things down and what you, it's not just what you aren't, what you are for, but you know, when you say you aren't for, you are not for something. So you say something isn't true. Then, by contrast, you have to be saying the opposite is something you are, are for. for. That, Does that is, make sense? yeah, yeah. That's is exactly that roughly it. what you were trying to yeah, say. Yeah, it's like you say something like, uh, you know, all bachelors are single, and you say, I believe all bachelors are single. Then, so can married people be bachelors? No. <laughs> See, so it, it, that's the issue. Is that what happens is is people in America today are taught to only spend time on one half of the equation. So when someone comes to you, and this is really important if you're talking about your faith, that someone says, well, I don't think that's true. Then instead of being defensive and saying, well, let me prove to you it is true, say, okay, then what do you believe? 
right? Right. Then what is true? If that's not true, then is that? And then what you do is you get them to change out of deconstruction into postulate. In other words, they have to state what they believe. And oftentimes when people state what they believe, guess what? They feel silly when what they say they believe comes out of their mouth. Right. Well, it reminds me of there's a couple different lines that they, they refrain in the, in the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, George Washington, when Hamilton's first trying to get into the war and he's like, let me fight. He says, you know, dying is easy. Living is harder. Right. Yeah. And then after the revolution, he says, you know, rebelling is easy. Governing is harder. harder. And it's the same idea of, yeah, it's easy to be the one that's going to be like, go out and fight yeah. and blow and, things and up, blow things up, building something, Yeah, you know, destructing or destroying things is easy. Building is harder. Yeah. Does that make sense? So once you get down to this is what I don't believe. Okay, well now you have to build with something what, that you now do you believe. Have to live with what you do theoretically believe right. by contrast, and that isn't as uh, easy to verbalize or get any kind of really solid foundation on when you're blowing everything up. Yeah, and I think this plays out in every day. I mean, some great illustrations of this is women say all men are pigs, or all men are terrible, or all men are selfish. Okay, so you don't like men, but you know what that means too. Is that you're you're also saying is that um, I, I I'm okay with being lonely, and even though I'm designed to partner and find a partner in life, I'm not going to do that. And now I understand why people would say that, a female might say that because they were hurt. You know, the guy just dumped her or something that she wanted was the love of her life. Maybe she feels that way, right? But the thing is, is that the opposite, though, has, if you say one thing, there's always some type of opposite. This is basically one of, uh, is, I think it's the third law of Newtonian physics. For every action, there is an e- equal and opposite reaction. Reaction. And so my point in deconstruction, uh, problem with deconstructionism is you spend all your time focusing on your action, never, ever asked to consider, well, what's the opposite and equal reaction? Yeah. You see, and that makes people, and that's why it's so important to understand the behind the scenes of this parable and think like a first century Jewish person thinks like when you understand why Jesus used the term, the son of man to refer to himself, it gives tremendous meaning to how this parable is a reflection of the kingdom of God. It helps me understand the real depth and meaning of what Jesus was communicating and how they heard it because they, they experienced it in the way he meant it. And it literally what it was is I, I always thought it was a parable about judgment, but it's really a parable about our nature, right? That's really what it's about. It's about how our tendency is to want to turn everything into a religion. You know, the Jews got really good at turning the law into a religion. And this is Jesus' point. When he looked at the Pharisees, he says, you're very good at cleansing the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. Mm. Okay. Is, uh, it's, it's interesting because we see it in the response of the people that were judged harshly. And that is, is like, well, when did we know that we were supposed to, and that kind of is implied to do this, that it was you. And, and Jesus says, well, when you do it to anybody, you know, the least of these people, you were doing it to me. And he's saying that this is, I think it's Jesus way of saying, it's not a religion. It, it isn't tell me the rules so I can follow them. Right. It's, this is all about the kingdom of God is about your nature changing so that your life bears the fruit of the changed nature. So that's really what it's about. 
Yeah, every time I've read this before, I kind of got this sense that it was about judgment. He's separating the goats yeah. and the sheep, right? And so you kind of go, oh, well, one of them's good, one of them's bad, and one of them messed up, one of them didn't. And it just feels like a judgment parable. However, when I understand how the first century Jewish person would have heard this in their time, especially the disciples, because again, this is a, this is a in-the-house conversation, mm-hmm. right? I realize the main point isn't judgment. It's like you said, it's about the nature. It's how have you been transformed by Jesus? Are you just looking for rules to follow or is it really you as a whole have been transformed? Yeah. And then what is your nature doing? Yeah. You know, and I, I think when I first read this parable as a new Christian, uh, a new follower of Christ, I was motivated uh, to be a sheep instead of a goat because I wanted to be on the winning team, right? Right. I don't want to be a goat. I want to be a sheep. So I, I worked really hard on doing those things. Oh, I'm supposed to care for these people, you know, that are poor, do these types of things, visit sick. And then I was really good at pointing fingers at people. Uh, if I judge them to be remiss in doing those things as well, I think people do this a lot uh, today. And people say things like the church, right, doesn't fill in the blank, you know, or the church has done this. And what I get so funny about that is whenever a Christian says the church, right? I just want to say, stop, time out. Because first and foremost, who's the church? You're the church. It's right. you. It's not this disembodied institution over there that you can get stand on the outside because this is what deconstructionism does. Right. Oh, I can stand on the outside. I'm not. It's a thing over there, and then I can critique it. But that my critique has nothing to say about me because I'm not a part of that. So anytime you ever say the church has not reached the next generation well, the church is not uh, carry, cares about the poor, the church, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever your criticism of the church is, what you need to say is I am the church and I am not those things. Because as soon as, this is what's hard to hear, this is salty, but as soon as you say the church doesn't teach this or the church doesn't emphasize that or the church doesn't care about that, what you're doing is you're making a false statement. You're making a false statement because what you're doing is you are acting like the goats in this parable. Well, I think it's interesting too. I, about a year ago, listened to this really well-produced podcast Mm -hmm. all about the, it's called the rise and fall of Mars Hill. So Mars Hill, for those of you who maybe aren't in though, no, I wasn't before I listened to the podcast. It was this huge mega church over in Seattle. Seattle. And they had massive growth. They turned into a mega church for all intents and purposes. And it was awesome. They expanded the satellite, but their lead pastor ended up having a lot of problems and the whole thing just basically blew up. Right. Mm-hmm. You can learn all about it. So they did this whole thing about how it got so big and then how eventually it fell apart and blew up mm-hmm. as a church. But what was interesting is the way the journalist went about it. He basically went and interviewed all these people that had issues with the pastor. And all right. they did was talk about all of the negative things that happened because of this pastor and how this church basically ended up being right. this big thing. And this was published by a Christian journalism, Christianity Today. They yeah. published it. And at no point, even at the end, after they do this, because it was sort of biographical, yeah. they never said, but here are the great things that came from it. Here are the people who were baptized. And while maybe this person, while this guy, pastor who did sin and is not perfect, but none of us are, he led these people to Christ and they are now 
continuing their journey and walk with faith because of it. Right. God still turned it for good. Like there was never a revelation in that thing. It was just deconstructing and just basically, I don't want to say a hit piece because it was factually accurate, but all they focused on were how bad he was and never like, Hey, these are the people that he reached Christ for. Here are the ministries that still serve because of this church. And while he may have messed up, this church still created this kind of an impact for Jesus. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where it's really easy for us to stand on the outside and be like, well, the church isn't good at blank. Right. And it's like, but there are great things the church are doing and you're part of that. Yeah. So if the church isn't doing good something, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you show up to church and you're like, well, if it doesn't have this, this, then this for me, then I don't want to be there. And it's like, well, you could be part of making yeah. this, this, and this there, well, what's so which is not something people want to hear these days. Yeah. And then you bring this up. I think it's so fascinating about the story is that the guy who was the pastor there, you know, he left, you know, because they they went after him. They tried, so he leaves, and then he uh, about a year or so after starts that, up two years, church. he starts up another church down in Phoenix. Yep. And what's interesting is former staff members that work for him and elders in that church moved to Phoenix to help him start that that church. And that church down there is now a growing and thriving church. Right, and he's leading people to Christ. And what I find so interesting about that podcast is that you know. What what would your assessment be? Is that uh, is that podcast and the guy is he a sheep or is he a goat? I mean, I think there are things about him from what I heard that are not great, but I do think he has a passion for leading people to Christ, and that's it's like what Paul says in I want to say Ephesians. He says it's in Philippians, I, Philippians where he says I don't these people, yeah, I don't, I don't care what their motivation is. I don't care what their motivations are if they're leading people to Christ. Yeah. Glory to God, yeah. and as long as he's not teaching false doctrine, that's all I care that's about. That's all I care and about, it's yeah. it's like, yeah, if he handles his staff and the way he does things, those aren't great. Those are choices those people have made saying, I can live with that in order to be part of him building ministry. Yeah. It's like, I think there has to be some grace and some God's going to figure it out. But I think ultimately this idea of, well, we just go and point fingers at how bad yeah. everything's screwed up. And instead of going like, well, are they reaching and creating fully devoted followers of Christ. So the guy who did the podcast, you know, and did this expose and what did he do? He made a lot of money because people were curious and they listened to it. You listened to it. I know a lot of people who listened to it. I had a lot of people send it to me, right? right? I never listened to it. And the reason I didn't listen to it is because of that very reason. You go out over the course of, he was there for, I don't know, 20 years building this church. And the notion that you're, you, can, you there's a whole long list of people that you could go. I mean, just go to, you could go back in my life, go to my middle school, right? And talk to the people I went to middle school with. I mean, I was not a great middle schooler. Right. <laughs> well, we just had a meeting today. You talked about some pranks that you pulled in college that yeah. could be something that people yeah, would go be back like, into college. That was not There's nice. a lot of people in college who don't think highly of me, you know? And so I think, I so think you, that's yeah. the thing is you, if that's all the you're problem do is, is, so when you get to heaven, when the guy who made that podcast gets to heaven, right? And he's going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, Look what I did for the kingdom. I made this pot and I exposed the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, and then they're going to look to this guy that he supposedly exposed the truth against and say, look what I, I, I brought 10,000 people in populated heaven. So what do the angels rejoice over more? One who has been saved. See, th and this is what I'm getting at. And this is really salty, but this is the problem in that is, is that most Christians today think like the world. They don't think like the kingdom. Right. 
And so they want to hear the dirty laundry. They want to hear all this stuff. And they think what they're doing is being truthful and they're not. They're not being truthful at all. They're participating in other things. And this is what this parable is about, right? It's all about the, the surprise. Like, like when you go back and you look at, at the discourse, when I first started reading this parable, I always thought, oh, it's all about the son of man and judgment, you know, and da-da. but as I mature, I read it and read it and read it and preached and preached on it and read it, read the emphasis became clear to me is that, you know what the bulk of the, of the parable is on is the conversation between the king and the sheep and the goats. He puts them in two different groups and they go wiring different groups and there's this discourse. Right. And you know, what's really fascinating to me and both of the discourse with either the goat or the sheep is this, is they were both surprised. They were shocked. Right. Like it was, they were, it wasn't something like, oh yeah, I knew that the whole time. It was, oh, whether they were doing the right thing or not, it was, oh, I didn't, I didn't know it. It was, I didn't know it. I just did it. And this is where it comes back to the nature, right? Yeah, this is the key to the parable. Because I did it because this is what I thought I was supposed to do because that was my nature. I would go one step further. I did it because this is who I am. Okay. See, it's like, in other words, when you say I did it because this is what I thought I was supposed to do, the word supposed mean that there's an ought. In philosophy, they always say there's an ought. And And so as opposed to... I did this because this is what I am. This is who I am. This is who I am, right? I just did it because it seemed natural. Right. It seemed normal. And then the the go- people that were separated in the goat side, they all said, well, we would have done it if we would have known it was you. Kind of a flavor. Right. And so that's what's so interesting is this parable is totally uh, a different sense because what it's about is it's told so that the disciples could determine for themselves whether they were a religious person or a redeemed person. I think, I think that's what it really comes down to is, are you following a person? Like it's the same thing. I, I can't, you've talked about it. We've talked about it several times is you don't want people following you, right? You want people following Jesus. You just are, a aspect of teaching them to follow and walk with Jesus. It's the same thing with that guy from Mars Hill. It's like who the guy is, is irrelevant. Could he have improved his practices? Yes. Are there things we can learn about church management from his story? Yes. But ultimately those people should not have been following him as a pastor. Correct. They should have been following Jesus. Mm -hmm. And some of them did. I think there's probably a lot that did, Right, but they focus on the, well, he made all of these things happen in the church. It's like, ultimately it's God's church. It doesn't matter. It wasn't his church. Right. And so it's like focusing on that idea of, am I a religious person following someone, whether it's a pastor or a worship team or whatever, or rules or regulations, or I'm doing things what I think I should do to be a better person. Right. Or are you a redeemed person who by your nature and your relationship with God, you make choices and you live in a certain way because that's who you are now. Yeah. So it certainly changes life quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. That perspective. So talk to me a little bit in our last few minutes, um, how this works out in a person's daily life. How does this difference in perspective, this difference in who you are versus a religious versus a redeemed person work out in a daily life? 
Well, uh, let me use an illustration. When you're in middle school, high school, and college, you know, and there's a family reunion, you know, it's like, oh, it's such a drag. I got to go, you know, and hang out with these people or whatever, you know. And and you you make fun of your family members and your cousins and uncles and aunts and how, you know, you you snicker behind their back and, and you do all these kinds of things, you know. But then as you get older, what do you do is you go, well – you know, these, these, this is fam, this is my family and this is who I am. And what happens is everybody has their idiosyncrasies. Everybody has their disagreements, everybody, but you enjoy each other so much more. Now, not all families do, but in a lot of ways you see that it's funny how, when people get older, they hang out with their estranged family members more. Um, and so using that as a kind of a, a illustration is that when your nature changes, it's what drives you. Your nature is what drives you to value what you value. So the best way to evaluate my nature is to look at what I value. What do I place a high priority on? What do I find myself doing with my time? You see, the point of the parable isn't follow the rules so that you can be a sheep instead of a goat. Because see, that's how we've interpreted it in Western culture forever. Right. I think the entire point of the parable is this. Jesus is giving the disciples privately. Here is, and then later on, Matthew shared it with everybody. Here is your opportunity to evaluate your own life, mm. to look deep into your own soul and ask yourself, what is it that I value? You see, do I value these things that the sheep were doing by their very nature? They weren't doing them because it was a rule or supposed to. It was just, they are doing it. John records in his uh, gospel, chapter 13, he says, you know how the world's going to know you're my followers? Not by all the good works you do, but by your love for one another. Mm. And love is something that you do naturally, right? Out of your nature. When you love something, you just can't help but do what? You love it. Right. <laughs> right? And so that leads to the second point. It's our nature that produces this fruit. It was the, the changed nature of the people who were qualified as sheep who did these things. And they were surprised because they said, well, Jesus, I, we never saw you walking around. Right. Right. I just did what was natural. I just did what was natural. And so the meaning is they did what they did because of who they are, not because there was a rule that they were supposed to follow. And this is the biggest thing with kids that are raised in the church is that we have to transition them from, because when you, when you raise children, you give them rules to follow. Right. That's called good parenting. Right. <laughs> right. And what you're trying to teach them is cause and effect, you know, choice outcome. And so you do that, right? Safety and all these other types of things. But as they get older, you've got to transition them from rule followers into knowing who they really are. Right. What, who are they truly? And, and this is why I always used to say, and I should probably keep saying it, and that is that God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has children. Mm. So I've never heard you say that before. So <laughs> it must heard, have been a while yeah, ago. It was, it was a while ago. I need to start saying, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. So that means that your children are being raised under you, under the protection of the faith umbrella. At some point, they have to come out from under you and become children of God. Okay. They have to have their own relationship with God as his children. So God doesn't have grandkids. He has kids. Yes. So, okay. so and the other thing too, is that I think it's really important is that you should evaluate your life as much as you can in the safety of being a redeemed person, right? When you're redeemed, you can like be super honest with yourself and super honest with God. 
yeah, God, I'm terrible at this or I'm not this. Help me change. Help me grow. Right. That's why Paul says, take off the old, put on the new. And so as our nature is changing this process of sanctification, because at some point we give an account for our lives, but what do we really give an account? Do we go back and give an account for every mistake we made and every success we had for every good thing we did and every bad thing we did? No, because once you've been redeemed by Christ, what happens to all your mistakes? They're wiped away. They're wiped away. So does God go back and rejudge you once Jesus has washed those things away? Comes back around next week. Hey, uh, it's time for your checkup. <laughs> yeah. No. See, we have to really understand the, the deeper meaning here. And this is the issue is that we give an account for our nature. See? And so now I have an opportunity to judge the fruit of my nature, mm. right? By just looking at this parable. So talk to me a little bit about some implications of this on the church. We've talked a little bit about it. You know, you, you are the church. You can't just stand outside throwing rocks at it and saying, yeah. I don't like it. What, give me some, give me some uh, implications for the church rapid fire. Well, me. I think good leadership wants to lead people into the, you know, lost people in hurting people and people who have been imprisoned, people who, who are naked, need to be clothed, people who are sick, need to be cared for, um, is, is they matter to Jesus. And so they matter to us, mm. right? We should have a social conscience. We really should. Our first goal as a church is to preach the gospel of Jesus. Our second goal is to disciple people to maturity and faith. And St. Francis CCC said it the best though. Always CCC St. Francis Assisi. Well, I had to get that out, right? Sorry. <laughs> he said, always preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Mm. So our actions have, a, and I, I would say that in America today, it's sad, but some of my brothers and sisters who are leading local churches, and I've talked to them about it, and they t generally tell me to go p pound sand, but at least I, I bring it up, uh, that what they're not leading their churches to have a social conf, uh, conscience of, of meeting the needs of the people that they have been placed in, the neighborhood in which they are around. Uh, the one thing that about, you know, foothills uh, that is that we have a food pantry. Uh, we've had it for years, 15 years of just feeding people. We have a clothing pantry. We have all these other outreach things that we do. We do them over and over and over again. Why? Because we're supposed to have a social conscience, mm. right? We're supposed to have that. I don't, I don't see how you can actually be a community faith and not have a social conscience. Well, you, I think that's part of the reason that you charge the elders and pastor Harvith bringing a school into foothills as well. Cause you, uh, care obviously we talk about in the podcast all the time about education and, yeah, and, and making sure yeah. that the kids are raised up in a thing and you said i want to make sure we are participating in this i can't sit here and preach about it on stage and talk about it in a podcast and then we're not doing anything about yeah. it so you charge them with helping you figure out how to bring a school in and now we have a hundred and something students in our halls every single day of the yeah. week and so it's like you're we're reaching out even across church borders because we don't say only foothills kids can come here it's people from all kinds of different all churches of life, through the valley, yeah. Yeah. right? And the other thing too is, you know, with the facility, we feel the story of how we got this facility initially, you know, I, I think is a gift from God is that it's the same type of thing. And that is, is that, you know, we had a gym, it was an okay gym, you know, and people wanted to use a gym. And so we partnered with, uh, uh, the largest basketball organization. What do you call yep. them? You know, they, they run leagues, camps and leagues and kind of training. So we have all these people who aren't even believers to my knowledge. 
uh, who come in and are learning basketball in our gym. And that group is actually a Christian-based organization as well. They have a really solid um, faith, and so they are reaching and doing a ministry of their own. I, I mean, I don't think they're necessarily preaching the gospel in their words and words during the camps, right. but in their actions and how they conduct themselves through their fruits, they are showing what it's like to be a believer. And those are bringing in all kinds of different people that would never step foot in a church if that wasn't a thing that they were doing. As Which far is as- in the end, our greatest as a church, it's our greatest witness to a lost world is our social conscience. Yes. And this, this is why the whole, uh, the, the progressive leftist cultural Marxism, the wokeness and all this kind of stuff is so bad. It's so evil. It's so wrong because what it does is it, it's, it's trying to steal right through a false virtue, uh, the authentic social conscience of the church. Mm. And, and uh, that's w- that. When you look at Marxism and what it does, and you look at pure socialism and what it does, it tries to take the ethic of the social conscience of the church, but impose it in a secular way through force. Yes. And all that, what that does is that is the most destructive thing, because what they're doing is they're acting like goats. You see, they're saying. Here are the rules. We're going to force everybody to follow them in our way. We're going to take from everybody else so that we can have a more what they consider an equitable society. But this is a is an evil contradiction of this parable because what we're called to do is to care and uh, to do these things because our nature has changed into care and love for those who are in need. Well, and I think what you're saying is we need to be focused on the needs and the hurts of the people who live around us. That's what these outreach ministries put us to is it's really easy in this life to start focusing on ourselves and look at how bad our lives are, what we've suffered. Mm -hmm. But once you start looking at how other people's lives are, you go, you know what? I actually, I'm doing pretty good. God has blessed me in a lot of different ways. I may have my own hurts and my own trauma and my own things that are going on in my life, but so do a lot of other people and they seem to be working through it as well. And I can be a service to them. And so it keeps us outwardly focused, right? Mm -hmm. By having these outreach programs and, you know, ministering to people who haven't heard the gospel. And that's what this parable is all about that I think is so powerful is that what it does is it really gives you an opportunity to ask yourself the question, how much is my nature changed and how much does it need to be changed by the the beautiful redemptive work of Christ in my life? Because two things are going to happen when you, the more you evaluate and allow Christ to change you, you're, you're going to um, grow to maturity you're going to grow strong. And when you grow to maturity, when you grow strong, you are going to develop something that you never realized you needed. And that is confidence and courage in every part of your life. Mm. And the reason why is because you, your nature is changing. And what's happening is what the, your life, the purpose of your life gets aligned with the nature that Christ is building within you. And that's where courage comes from. That's where confidence comes from. That's where strength comes from. And that's where wisdom comes from. And those are gifts and fruits that you do not want to miss out on in your life. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor. I know we ran a little long today, but our discussion was so good and I couldn't stop us. So I felt <laughs> like we had to. Um, we're really excited for your message on Sunday. For those of you who join us on Sundays, I would encourage you because I'm sure you will hear all kinds of great things. If you missed last week's message with the shofar blast in the middle of it, you might uh, pop back there and listen to that as well. But um, we're just so glad you guys choose to join us each and every week, twice a week to grow your faith, grow your walk and learn how to be uh, critical thinkers and what yes. you believe and why you believe it. So we, yep. you can only do that when you are intentional about it. And I think that's mm-hmm. what the Salty Pastor podcast kind of forces you to do is be intentional in your thinking, be intentional in your walk of faith um, each and every day, not just on Sundays. You know, that's the thing is when people only work on their faith on Sundays, they're missing out on six other days of the week that they could be growing it. So mm-hmm. we're happy to be part of two of those days that um, you are choosing to grow your faith every week. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.